Okay, it is a communion Sunday, and as a result of that, that means we go into a passage that we've been on for, well, I think over a year now. I don't have the actual number. It's all on the website. It's in Psalm 22. We've been looking at this psalm every single time the communion table is set up for us. Uh, It is a powerful, powerful psalm. And the more I study it, the more I just absolutely love it. Um, we're going to look at verse 23 and 24 today, especially verse 24. The, uh, I, I'm just going to say it this way. When I was even preparing this sermon, studying it and writing the notes out, I, I couldn't stop but cry. It was, it was so touching. It brought tears to my eyes just to read these passages and to see what David wrote so many years ago and how it works right here in the heart. So if I get a little broken up as I go, just understand it's just overflow from the office. I was just studying it, and and the more I see it, the more beautiful it gets. Um, Psalm 22, verse 23 and 24. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify Him. Stand in awe of Him, all you descendants of Israel. For He has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has He hidden His face from Him. But when He cried to Him for help, He heard. Heavenly Father, help us as we look into a passage like this that... uh, you captivate our hearts with it and help us see our Savior. The great love in which He dispenses to us, especially when we hurt. Thank you, Lord, for a passage like this. May we understand it well today. So you'd be our teacher, so that we hear it as it should be heard. We praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. This um, this psalm is astounding especially as it starts with such a jarring phrase. As you see in verse number one, we've been talking about this, like I said, for a whole series of communion services. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's quite a potent little phrase. And what follows it in verse number one is these words, far from my deliverance, are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, and you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Those are the words that Christ expressed on a cross. You know that. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? They're the sound of anguish, Despair. There's an aloneness in the act. Jesus there is taking on the sins of the whole world and his father leaving him to do it by himself. That has never happened before. Throughout all eternity past, when, use your imagination because that's all we can do in this sense when there was nothing. There was nothing to this earth, no planets anywhere, no stars, 
no sun, no moon, nothing. And that's hard to fathom. But you have the Father, you have the Son, and you have the Holy Spirit existing in perfect harmony. Fellowshipping with each other, cooperating in everything. At the time of creation, we see all three of them involved. All three of them together, forming and building and placing the elements of this universe together. We see the display even today of their creativity and their power. It's still with us today. You look up into the heavens and you see the glory of God. It's a testimony that's always before us. Always before us. In the making of man, when he came to that day of creation, as Scripture says, uh, the making of man is something fearfully and wonderfully done. (laughs) Joining cells with cells, constructing joints and building bones and causing a pulsating for the heart, And all the processes of the brain and those who study the body with a view to the greatness of our God can stand in awe of what He has done in His plan when one day they said, let us make man in our image. Impressive. At the birth of Jesus, we see the cooperation of the Trinity. We see the Father's plan in sending His Son. We see the Son's obedience and His condescending down to our level and taking on flesh to dwell among us. And we see the Holy Spirit as well assisting and overshadowing the whole task. And together they brought the Savior to the world. We can stand in awe of that too, can't we? And then you go to the cross, the place of the cross where it's the Father's cup and it's the Spirit's Spirit's guidance and the Son's willingness to fulfill that was prophesied. Everything that was prophesied. He was there to fulfill it. All that the law called for, He came to fulfill it. All that the Father demanded by His wrath and His justice and His holiness, Jesus said, I will. And he walked to a cross. I think there's enough there to hold us in awe for hours. Absolutely impressive. Reading all these things that the Godhead did together. It goes on and on and on. That's just samples of the story. But those are the big ones that we focus on more times than not. But folks, I can't help but get silent when I get to the cross. Contemplating how Jesus walked that path alone. He went to a cross and did what no one else did. The Father did not die for you. The Holy Spirit did not die for you. That wasn't their role in this. Jesus died for you. Jesus in trust of His Father and the plan that was made, poured Himself out to death and committed His Spirit into His Father's hands. 
I'm not trying to be flowery or anything like that. I, I really don't enjoy reading even commentaries that get so sappy you can't read the words. <laughs> but sometimes when we look at the cross, we only see a wooden thing. When in reality, there at that place was a struggle with life and death and the grips of sin all woven into the fabric of what Jesus did for us. The anguish is beyond words. We can't express this, and even Scripture, the words that we have, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? How much of that can we fully understand? We probably don't even have the words to even match the imagination of what words we'd like to try to depict the nature of that passion. Jesus Christ was abandoned by his Father so he could take on your sin and mine. That's, that to me is astounding. As David is constructing this psalm, my guess he really had no idea that the things would literally, that he wrote, would literally be speaking of a Savior. Yet even as he's writing it, before it ever comes to pass, he's calling for praise. <laughs> Verse 23. He's calling for praise. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify Him. Stand in awe of Him. He knew even right there at the writing of what he was doing. The people need to respond. The folks of Israel, the descendants of Jacob, those that he lived among, those who among them were some who feared the Lord, he says, praise him, praise him, stand in awe of him. You know, if only we could just join in with their chorus. If only our hearts were in tune with that anthem of adoration, rising up from these words, wouldn't it be great if our voice was heard among them? I want to give you a principle here that I, I think would be useful. And it's that those who have truly benefited from the act of the Savior and know what he has done for them personally, can truly say thank you with a grateful heart. There is a hollowness in religious worship today. There's a hollowness in it because it sets its attention on the gratifying of man in their songs and in their style and in their atmosphere, and the pulpits are dead. There's a deadness from a pulpit that speaks about man and doesn't speak about the glory of our God. They speak without a heart for Him. Isaiah warned about this, folks, many years ago, and he wasn't talking to the church. He was talking to Israel. But boy, can we wear the shoes. He said in Isaiah 29, 13, The Lord said, Because this people draw near with their words, and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their heart far from me, and their reverence for me consists of traditions 
learned by rote. I repeat what I said a minute ago. I believe those who have truly benefited from this act of what Jesus did on a cross and what he has done for them, and they know it personally, those are the ones who know how to say thank you with a grateful heart. We who take the time to study the actions of God, we could study him in creation, we could study him in the making of man, we could study him in the birth of Christ, we could study him in the death of Christ, we ought to be able to join this chorus and praise him. We ought to be the ones who stand in awe of him today when we realize this was for us. This was for us. And yet, verse 24 today, I told you that was really my focus. Because there's another group's voice that is heard in the chorus. It's a weak voice. It's a tired voice. It's a timid voice. It comes from a heart of those who know very well what the Lord has done for them. It is the voice of the afflicted. Verse 23, I want to show you something and move right to verse 24. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify Him. Stand in awe of Him, all you descendants of Israel. And then he goes for the reason. Why is it important? Why do the ones who fear the Lord stand in awe of Him? Why? Why? Verse 24 is the answer. For... And I checked my Bible resource that just about every translation carried here today has the word for at the beginning of verse 24. I always want to check that because sometimes other people have different things and different translations. But I have it for, and I think you do too. Because now comes the reason. He has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from them, but when he cried to, when they, he, the afflicted, cried to him, the Lord, for help, he heard. Of all that can be said at the cross and those who embrace it as a place where we find our hope of forgiveness of sins, we could stand there and we could say, he canceled out the certificate of debt or a depth of decrees against me, things that were hostile to me. He took them away. He nailed them to the cross. That's a beautiful passage in Colossians. <laughs> Folks, do you have a joyful heart because you're forgiven? Isn't that a beautiful thing, that word forgiven? There is a group that we're going to look at here for a few minutes. They're labeled the afflicted. And I want to give them a voice today too because they also know the value of a cross. You see, it's not the afflicted that gain the applause of men. Nobody claps for them. It is not the afflicted that is wanted in the roles of leadership among us. We don't pick them. It is not the afflicted who's generally seen as valuable folks in society. 
What we want is the affliction to go away. The word afflicted in the Hebrew terms speak of those who are lowly. Sometimes we call them needy. Many times we call them the poor. They have been humbled. And you've been reading through your Bibles this year. You would notice how often the Lord mentions this. But they've probably been humbled by some oppressor. They already were in bad straits, and then the oppressor stepped in and pushed them further down. And that happens so often. The whole idea is that they can't get out from under that pressure that has pushed them down, and, and they're prone to stay that way. The Greek word that I, I match up many times in the, when I use the Septuagint, and I look of, up words that move from Hebrew to Greek and see the, the wonder of, of language. I love it. The, the afflicted are those who are distressed. A pauper. A cringing beggar is the words that they use. See, when the, when the crowds gather, these ones are the ones that cower into the background. They wince. They shrink back. They're unwanted in the chorus of praise, so don't put them in the choir. They're, they're quieted because they have a reputation that's not acceptable in world's view. There was a man once, and you've read of him before in Luke chapter 18, verse 13, that he couldn't even look up when he prayed. But he said in this quiet, choking voice, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Who is the afflicted one? Who is that one that we read of here? Who is the one trampled by mankind? Because that's where he gets his words. Who is the one who's been broken by sin and held in its chains, slavery to that that horrible thing we call sin. Who is the one that's repulsed and rejected and pushed away from the camp and disdained and despised and the world has no use for them? Who is that one that we abhor their whimper? We grow deaf to their cries. We see them on the road. They've been beaten. They've been robbed. Many times by their own iniquities, perhaps. And then added to by those who afflicted them on top of it. And we, like so many others, moved to the other side of the road to pass by. Do you remember this story? I could go on and on with descriptions like this about these folks. But I don't want to use that for my main time. I want to talk to you. I want to show you why praise and awe are the reason... For they're joining in with the course. You ready? For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor is he hidden his face from them. But when they cry to him for help, he heard. Let's put emphasis where it belongs. He. Verse 24. He. Who is he? Do you have it in capital letters? Capital H, then a small E, 
Mm? Some translations do that because they're talking about somebody important here. They're talking about God himself. In the context, it's obvious that he's talking about the Lord. He is the one that just was mentioned was worthy of our praise, right? Verse 23. The Lord of this psalm is the same Lord that turned his face away when Jesus Christ died on a cross. It's the same Lord that we read about in this psalm that we are called to trust and to praise. And I don't know if that strikes you as kind of funny right now. When you're thinking through the psalm, you may be thinking, how can we trust the Lord when Jesus, at the worst of his affliction, the Father turned away from him? The Father turned away from him. I want to give you a couple of things that might help if you're wondering how that those two things go together. First of all, this. What Jesus experienced for us on a cross will never be experienced by anyone else. We will never die on a cross for somebody else and the sins of this world. Nobody else can. Nobody else will. Only Jesus could and only Jesus would die for our sins. It is a price beyond compare and certainly one that is never, ever duplicated by anyone else. Go into any other religion you want. They don't have a Savior who died on a cross. (laughs) They have systems and works and fears and all these other things, but they don't have a Savior like you do. Jesus is the only one who saves. He is the only mediator between man and God. He's the only way, the only truth, the only life, and no one comes to the Father but through Him. That's Jesus. Only Jesus could die on that cross. Secondly, note this too, that the afflictions on the cross were the epitome of what suffering there is for the price of sin. Remember what the wages of sin is? You know. Death. What did Jesus do? He died. He paid it in full. And his death is different than your death. Rarely do we fully grasp the nature of our sin and the penalty of our sin. Being sinful, we cannot pay for sin. He would sin less. So he could carry yours. He didn't have to die for his own. He could carry yours. The demands of a holy God was for complete satisfaction for the penalty of sin. In Isaiah 53, it says that the Father was pleased to crush Him. Those are potent words. They're they're too deep. Too deep to fathom that. That He would do that for me or you. But there's something sweet in knowing it, isn't there? There's something so beautiful about this. Your afflictions, listen, your afflictions will never be to the degree of what he knew affliction to be on your behalf. You will never come to that measurement. Corey Ten Boom, you know the name, 
a lady who knew personally all the horrors of the Holocaust. She came to understand something and she wrote it, and this is one of her most famous statements. There is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. What you have in this picture is what Jesus Christ did for us. He, he endured abandonment and affliction, separation from his Father, so that we would never be alone or unheard. That's what he did for you. So as he shouts out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then he turns to us and says, now trust him. It's because he was paying that price so that you could. He's a champion for the afflicted. He alone could say this, I know what you feel. You know, sometimes when you're going through the worst of days, and somebody comes up and says, I know what you feel you're saying, uh, you really don't understand, do you? <laughs> you? You have that little part in the heart, don't you? That's like, you, you don't understand what it is I feel, what it is I'm going through. But you can never say that to Jesus. You can never say that to Him. He can come to you and say, I know what you are feeling. He can come to you and say, I know how you are treated. He could come to you and say, I know your pain. I know your rejection. I know what that is. I know you feel like a worm. It's in this text. Being despised by the people. Being sneered at. Being mocked. Being abandoned. He is the only one who can really say, I know. And he is your high priest. It says in verse 24, He does not despise you. He does not scorn you. He does not treat you as contemptible. Those are the words in that definition. He does not abhor you. He doesn't look at you and see this polluted and dirty, unwanted creature. He sees one for whom he died and loves you. He sees you as a battered reed, but he won't break you off. He sees you as a smoldering wick. You're about to go out, but he won't put you out. He does not turn his face away when you approach. You see those things in verse 24? You cry for help, and he hears you. He hears you. He has not despised, nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him for help, he heard. He heard. The world may never hear your voice, above their own prideful boastings. But Jesus hears. And Jesus knows. And if you add Peter's comments, he cares too. He cares. 
he too was afflicted and hurt beyond words. He was surrounded. This is all from Psalm 22. He was encircled as if bulls and roaring lions were about him. He was poured out like water. It says his heart became like wax and melted. His bones were out of joint. His strength was gone. His tongue stuck inside his mouth. He was laid in the dust to die. And they stared at him. And they even went so far to divide up his clothing right at the foot of his cross. How callous can you get? He knows affliction more than you ever will. But in that's the beauty. He knows affliction. And you're not about to bring anything to him that will stun him and knock him off his throne. He knows. He knows. That is why in the course of those who can praise him, we'll be the weak ones. The stressed little voices of those are welcome to come and sing too. When they're at the end of their resources, they find a Savior who's everything. There's a song, I love it. It goes this way. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. His, his love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed before the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's forgiving is only begun. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary. No unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. For whom is this table set today? Many people come and, and partake who know who enjoy the glory of the Lord, who fear Him, they're in awe of Him, they praise Him with a full heart. Many who partake of this have the ease and the blessings of many good things in life. But also those who are welcome here are the afflicted ones too. Those who have found a Savior worthy of the name Savior. Let these words just speak for themselves. He is not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. 
Folks, you can approach today. As we take part together, you can approach this table with praise and with awe. Because the Lord hears when you cry for help. I have the men come and assist me this morning, the elders that will participate in our communion service. Please come here.